all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Well, summer is almost over, and soon kids will be headed back to school. Now is the time to start thinking about what they'll need to be prepared for that school entry. Today we'll be talking about the specific immunizations required for different ages and why they help to protect them against serious diseases. We would love to hear your questions and comments this morning, so give us a call or email us. You can share those comments and questions by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Republican presidential hopeful Donald Trump accepts his party's nomination tonight at the GOP convention in Cleveland. NPR's Scott Horsley reports Texas Senator Ted Cruz is defending his decision not to endorse Trump during his own convention speech last night. Senator Cruz is facing some tough questions from his own Texas delegation after a controversial speech in which he declined to endorse Trump. Cruz says he has no plans to criticize his party's nominee, but he was noncommittal when pressed on whether he plans to vote for Trump. Well, I'm going to be listening tonight. I'm going to be listening to Donald's speech. I'm going to be listening to how he and the campaign conduct themselves every day from now to November. And that's what I believe the American people are going to be doing also. Some Texas delegates applauded Cruz's stance, but others complained he's breaking his vow to support the Republican standard bearer. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Cleveland. Vice presidential nominee Mike Pence says he's confident Trump, if elected, would stand by the U.S.'s allies in NATO. The Indiana governor is reacting to the presidential nominee's remarks to the New York Times that if Russia attacked the Baltic states, he would consider defending them only after reviewing whether those nations have, quote, fulfilled their obligations to us. That position counters longstanding U.S. foreign policy that supports the pledge by all 28 nations in the alliance to come to the aid of each other in the event of an attack. A Turkish official says the country's state of emergency will mean suspending compliance with the European Convention of Human Rights. NPR's Peter Kenyon says the Turkish parliament is set to endorse a three-month emergency. Deputy Prime Minister Numan Kurtulmuş says Turkey will temporarily halt its participation in the Human Rights Convention, which the convention allows in times of emergency. Kurtulmuş added that France did the same thing when it declared a state of emergency following the deadly attacks in Paris last November. Turkey's justice minister sought to reassure people, saying the state of emergency might not last the full three months it's authorized for. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan blames U.S.-based cleric Fethullah Gulen for the coup attempt. One Turkish official admitted that Gulen's organization was given free reign in Turkey during the early years of Erdogan's tenure. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. 
Russia's track and field team has lost its latest bid to be allowed to compete in the Rio Olympics. An international court has upheld a ban on athletes accused of doping. NPR's Corey Flintoff is in Moscow, where he reports on the reaction from Russian officials. So far, they're only saying that they regret this decision by the court, but they're not saying what they'll do. Just this morning, the head of Russia's Olympic Committee announced the names of 387 athletes that Russia was planning to send to Rio. It's now looking quite possible that none of those people will get a chance to compete. NPR's Corey Flintoff. U.S. stocks are lower with the Dow off 65 points at 18,529. This is NPR News. An internal police assessment is reported to be underway in France into how security forces responded to the attack in Nice on Bastille Day. Eighty-four people were killed when a man repeatedly plowed through a crowd with a truck. French President Francois Hollande disputed allegations that law enforcement officers were not being transparent enough about their investigation. Police in North Miami say they're investigating why the caretaker of a man with autism was shot by an officer on Monday. NPR's Greg Allen reports Charles Kinsey was wounded as he tried to bring the man back to a group home. Police say they received a call saying a man with a gun was threatening suicide. When they arrived on the scene, Kinsey was trying to bring a 23-year-old man with autism back to the group home. That man was yelling and holding a toy truck. In a cell phone video released by his lawyer, Kinsey, a behavior therapist, is seen lying on his back with his hands in the air telling the police, don't shoot, and all he has is a toy truck. One of the officers carrying a high-powered rifle fired, wounding Kinsey in the leg. North Miami police haven't said why Kinsey was shot. In a statement, the department says arriving officers tried to negotiate with two men on the scene. And during the on-scene negotiation, one of the responding officers discharged his weapon, striking the employee. Miami-Dade state attorney is investigating. The officer has been placed on administrative leave. Greg Allen, NPR News, Miami. The mayor of Houston is expected to soon release a video recording of a police shooting in which officers killed a man earlier this month. Mayor Sylvester Turner says he's making the video public to dispute claims on social media that the man shot 38-year-old Alva Brazil was unarmed at the time of the confrontation. The Dow is off 64 points. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the NPR Shop, offering an array of public radio collections, including The People We Meet, Extraordinary Encounters with Exceptional People, selected and presented by NPR personalities, at shop.npr.org. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. 
Well, the heat might have you thinking that summer is still here for, I don't know, forever, maybe. That's the way it feels like to me. But school is right around the corner, and as a parent, sometimes you get caught off guard with what your child needs for school. Well, along with the books and forms and everything else that they need, immunizations are also needed. And you might think that they're caught up on some, but be missing some once they get there. We certainly don't want to delay their entry into school and uh, have them behind from the start. Today we'll be talking about immunizations needed for school with some assistance from our special guest, Dr. Sandy Feldman. As usual, we'll be taking your questions and comments as well. So you can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. It is hot out there, folks. Uh, let me, if you haven't heard uh, all the forecast today, I don't care what part of the South you're in, it's going to be hot. But particularly here in Mississippi, uh, northern Mississippi and southern, uh, all of Mississippi, um, please, please protect yourself. You might think you're acclimatized, but we're going to hit uh, close to 100 with heat indexes way up there, almost up to 110 in some places. Uh, if you have kids, particularly Younger kids, please uh, limit the time that they're out there. Uh, I know normally we say, hey, get your kids outside and get them active because we have a problem with that, too, in Mississippi. Um, But today, just be careful when you're out there. Make sure that they have plenty of access to water. Uh, And if you have to be outside, the best times, of course, are earlier in the morning, even in the afternoon, uh, all the way up to... uh, uh, seven o'clock at night. It's still uh, it's still around ninety with uh, high humidity out there. So be be careful. Uh, also, want to put in a plug. We always unfortunately have some incidents with children and pets uh, who are kept in a car. Uh, car temperatures can uh, reach dangerously high levels very quickly in the summertime. So take your kids with you. I know sometimes that's a hassle, particularly if they're not in a good mood or they're sleeping in the car. But that's the safest thing to do, um, particularly right now and. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about some other ways that you can, because this heat is going to be here at the end of the fall. You know, miss, fall in Mississippi is a bit of a misnomer. It's really just late summer uh, until you get to about October. So uh, we're going to have some other uh, issues related to that later. But today we have Dr. Sandy Feldman uh, from the health department and used to be a faculty member at UMMC and uh, uh, a great um, um, resource that we had today to talk about our issue of Back to school immunization. So welcome, Dr. Feldman. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've we did a recorded program <laughs> about a year, a little over a year ago, uh, but uh, give us a refresher about where okay. you're from uh, initially, because I know you have that thick Mississippi accent. Right. So <laughs> Yeah, it's so thick it's from Brooklyn, New York. Um, <laughs> but I was professor of pediatrics here at UMMC, and was chief of pediatric infectious diseases, was also the infection control officer for the Children's Hospital. And then when I retired, I became the immunization consultant to the Mississippi State Department of Health. And actually, most of my, many of my research activities, I was at St. Jude before I came to UMMC. I was also involved in vaccines for children with cancer and then became involved in vaccines for uh, normal, healthy children. And in fact, uh, years and years ago, we were the first state, or the fir- I was the first person to give one of the new acellular pertussis vaccines to a child. It was done here in Mississippi when the vaccine was first coming out. 
So, and you have a great perspective, I think, of, uh, you know, I've, I've been out in practice now for about a little over 15 years um, after residency. And certainly there's some, you know, some things that I saw even then that we don't see now because of vaccinations. But uh, you you have a good perspective about that with a lot of the things that we really don't see that much at all here in the state uh, and because of vaccination. So any any kind of thoughts on that? Well, sure. I mean, I was back there, quote, the old days when measles was still around because they didn't have the measles vaccine. Meningitis was very common. Um, but now we have vaccines to prevent them. But the only way the vaccines work is if you take the vaccines. Right. And we had an example here several years ago, um, and it was a family which didn't believe in vaccinating their children. Children weren't in school, so there was no way to uh, get them vaccinated. And they had a three-year-old who got exposed to whooping cough. And where, nobody really knows. Uh, the father comes down with whooping cough and winds up in the hospital. The mother gets sick. But however, they had a two-month-old infant. And that two-month-old infant died from whooping cough. Because that's if you're going to get whooping cough and it's going to be a fatality, it's going to be in the young infants, usually under the age of three or four months. And this family then has to live with that they could have prevented a death in their child had they given that child immunizations, particularly the whooping cough vaccine. So without vaccines, although it's not common, there are deaths in this country. Worldwide, it's a whole different story because there are a lot more deaths because they don't have all the vaccines that we have. But even in this country, we see deaths, and invariably it was from an unvaccinated uh, patient or child. Yeah, that, that's that's really the whole reason why we vaccinate kids. I know a lot of parents, they come in the clinic uh, in our practice that, um, you know, that do ask that, and, and I encourage that. You know, it's nice to know. Sometimes we forget as medical professionals, we get in a routine about what we need to do, and sometimes we leave out why we do what we do and in trying to explain that. And um, certainly uh, there's lots of questions that parents have about why to vaccinate and uh, what the importance is and, uh, and, and you know, risk and benefits, too, because that's certainly a part of, of everything that we do in medical practice has a risk-benefit ratio. And thankfully, vaccines are ones that have a, a very good risk-benefit ratio. If you think about it and you go back in time in history – the three things, well, among the three things that keep us living the longest and in the best health is clean water, indoor plumbing, and immunizations. Mm. You know, those three things made humongous changes in life, mortality, et cetera. Yeah, it's things we uh, take for granted right. uh, these days. I mean, you don't think about that when you uh, get water out of a faucet right. um, uh, or, or other places. Certainly, even if you don't do that, you have access to it in other ways with bottled water. So, so what are, you know, just to keep this real basic, so what's, give us a little bit of the history of, of vaccination. So, well, vaccinations first started with the smallpox vaccine, and that was developed by Jenner back in the late 1790s. Actually, it was during the time of the American Revolution. And, and that's, uh, a, you know, you don't think about, I think most people think vaccines, uh, the first one, you sort of forget about that in history, that it was that long ago. Right. But that's, um, that that's amazing, uh, the accomplishments that he had to, to have the foresight to think about it that way. And he, so he had developed the first vaccine against smallpox. And in fact, by interesting enough, a couple of things. 
um, where they got into immunizations as a school requirement was with the smallpox um, back in actually 1905. The state of New York had passed a requirement that um, smallpox be given to children entering school, and the state was sued, and the Supreme Court upheld immunizations as valid for a school requirement. And that started, again, the whole thing with school requirement. The last case of natural smallpox in the world was in uh, 1979 in Somalia. We had eliminated smallpox in this country by the end of World War II. Hmm. We basically had none in the 50s, and then we even stopped vaccinating with smallpox somewhere in the 1960s or so. And smallpox had a lot of morbidity with it. By morbidity, when we throw out that word, that's just complications. Right. And uh, mortality. And death. And right. death, right. right. Yeah, so it's uh, sort of similar to, uh, to chickenpox in some, in some ways, but uh, it's certainly much more serious disease with its complications and death. Right. Um, and then uh, from there, you had other people that developed this and, and knowing more about how the immune system works. Um, so how does that work when you inject something into somebody, or if it's an oral vaccine, because we have right. you know, uh, one of those now that's routinely given to kids? Well, basically what you're doing is giving them the weakened part of whatever the organism is, whatever the germ is. But you give them enough so that they can develop their own protection. Obviously, the reason you can walk around today is you're protected against umpteen million different viruses, bacteria, parasites, whatever you want to name, because you develop your own defense. And one way to hasten this defense is to go ahead and give you part of that germ or organism or virus in a weakened state and not as much as you would get naturally, but you build up a defense, and that's your defense which protects you against all these vaccine-preventable diseases. And, of course, there's in your own natural defense. You get protected naturally from stuff because you get exposed and don't get exposed enough to get sick with it. And, and I think that's an you – know, I can remember in med school um, learning about the immune system and how complex it is, but it's set up to fight off you – know, I was thinking about uh, earlier this week about – Conditions that uh, either by, you know, for treatments for cancer, sometimes we give medications or induced states in patients where their immune system is is uh, decreased, sometimes dramatically. There's certainly other conditions you can get, HIV, full-blown AIDS. Uh, it, re- it, reveal- it sort of reveals what happens to the body when you remove that immunity. And you don't get just, most of the time, you don't get just one disease uh, or infection, you get multiple ones. And um, that sort of tells you that the body's doing this all the time. Uh, It's being presented with, you know, tens to hundreds of different things every day that your body successfully, most of the time, fights off. And immunizations are a way to really uh, take advantage of that, of the body's natural defense system to uh, sort of train it, I guess, and that's another right. way to look Basically, at it. Basically, that's what it does. Yeah. I mean, when I was at St. Jude, one of the things we did in infectious diseases was deal with these children with cancer who we were treating and curing their cancer, but their defenses against natural stuff and whatever's around was very poor. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons, too, why in those, you know, certainly a smaller population, but sometimes you have to uh, change how you vaccinate uh, because they lose that immunity after being treated. That's certainly a special population that we either vaccinate earlier than we would before the treatment or um, revaccinate later to sort of 
uh, train up their their right. immune system about that. And and certainly uh, that's the goal is to have the body to fight off that. Now some people some patients have uh, uh, their their families uh, have asked the question. Well, isn't natural immunity when you get exposed to these diseases better than an immunization if it's weakened or if it's just a part of it? The answer turns out to be basically no. Vaccine, well, no vaccine is 100%. Right. And even if you got infected naturally with measles, probably wouldn't be 100% that you're protected, mm-hmm. pretty close to 95%. And it's the same with the vaccines. Yeah, they don't give you 100% protection, but they give you similar protection to the natural disease. Mm-hmm. And in some diseases, too, uh, it, when you're exposed to the actual disease, uh, you actually your body is not able to make... A, right. uh, uh, you know, to sort of make those antibodies to that in the same way uh, if you had, you just don't get enough of it. Right. Um, Soon enough. Right. And the toxins from right. that uh, can certainly be, be lethal in some, in some instances. We're talking about immunizations today, particularly back-to-school immunizations. We're going to be focusing on that in just a few minutes. But if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to share with us, you're welcome to call us at one 1- 877 MPB ring that's 1877 672 7464 or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org we'll be right back with Dr. Feldman after this break Support for MPB comes from Kyle Wynn & Associates, an elder law firm with offices in Ridgeland, Diamond Head, and Hernando, assisting clients throughout the state with estate planning, including trusts, avoidance of probate, and nursing home asset protection. Details at kyle-wynn.com. A little over one year ago, I announced my candidacy for president, and with your vote today, this stage of the presidential process has come to a close. Today in Cleveland, Donald Trump accepts his party's nomination. We'll talk to a man who spent 18 months with Trump as the ghostwriter of his best-selling book, The Art of the Deal, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is NPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Sandy Feldman, and we're talking about Entry back into school after a long, hot summer. Hope everybody's been having fun out there and staying safe. Now, we just uh, got back from the beach last week, and uh, it's pretty hot down there. Not quite as hot as it is once you get home, though. Um, 
sunblock is something else we should mention too because the sun i don't know, it feels like i've i've been to central america often about uh close to 20 times now and uh, in honduras and guatemala and um, i'll tell you what it feels out there right now like it does in central america and you could get burned quick so uh sunblock is something else you don't want to don't want to miss. We're particularly talking about immunizations. Uh, just had sort of a review of, of how they work and a little bit of history about that um, and why they're important uh, to help prevent uh, some of the more serious diseases and common diseases that have serious side effects uh, in kids in particular. And, uh, of course, we give a lot as pediatricians. Uh, sometimes parents say, why are you giving so many of these things? And uh, it's uh, sort of that's not by chance. Um, they're designed to be given at different times. So, Dr. Feldman, why it you know going into school? Why is that a time that we would need immunizations? Well, one of the reasons, whenever you get a uh, crowd together, a group, that's where the risk of some of diseases come, like flu and whatever, spreads throughout. And school is sort of the ideal place for for diseases to spread. And the vaccines, what you're doing is eliminating vaccine-preventable diseases from the school system. Um, and that's why it was decided that when they enter school, that would be the best time to make sure their vaccines are up to date because that's when everybody comes together and the risk of vaccine-preventable diseases and flu and other viruses um, exists is in the school system. And, you you know, I... Y- it's not so much, uh, well, if you've seen a first grader or a bunch of first graders, they're not the cleanest people in the world, and they're not really concerned about hygiene, most of them. I would say 99% of them. So right. uh, even if you have clean surfaces on the school, they don't last long uh, because snotty noses and secretions and all kinds of stuff and kids coughing in the classroom. Um, in fact, I, don't, I, don't, I hadn't seen if anybody's done a study on this, but I would, I would dare say... Uh, I would love to look at infection rates in first grade teachers and uh, and their immune systems. I bet that would be a fascinating study to look at. So that makes sense. If they're all in one place and they're sharing all these different, uh, you know, potential diseases, you certainly, the ones that are the most serious ones and they could transmit back and forth, uh, you wouldn't want it, them, when they're exposed to that, you'd want to protect them uh, as a group. So that makes perfect sense about why we would do this. And immunizations used to be given in schools too, right? right? Uh, instead of the, you know, that's just another place to uh, to capture, uh, to make sure everybody got that. And uh, people would line up not so long ago. Back in the 70s, I think, probably was the last time that was done uh, in this state. So so what about, what are they, what in particular are the ones that are vaccinated against or, or you know, a booster <clears throat> of those when they go into the school system well, in first grade? Obviously, the most common one is what we call the DTAP, which is diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. And you're required to have five doses of those by the time you enter school. And school being pre-K, four years and older. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's in pre-K and they're four, they need the same school entry requirements as somebody would have for kindergarten or first grade. And then you need your polio vaccine. There's only polio left in two countries. Um, Afghanistan, and I can't think of what the, the name of the uh, Pakistan mm-hmm. are the only two countries that have polio. But there's always concern that polio circ- could circulate in the water. As far as we know, in this country, it doesn't. But we continue to use the polio vaccine until there's evidence that there's no polio worldwide. And again, we haven't had a case of polio in this country for well over 40 years. 
Um, hepatitis B was a very common infection, and in fact, back in uh, uh, in the 1990s, we began to give the hepatitis B to infants because we can know we can protect them against hepatitis B, which can be a severe infection and lead to liver failure and lead to death. It's very common in the Orient. And in fact, that's where they started using the vaccine first and showed it last for 30 or 40 years. So we give that vaccine. Of course, there's the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, or the MMR. We need two of those. And almost everybody now is familiar with the outbreak of measles we had last year to the Disney and how we had a couple of cases in Memphis. Actually, the last case in Mississippi was in 1992 in Ole Miss, an Ole Miss student. That was the last case we've had, knock on wood, with all that going on in the country where we're seeing more and more cases of measles, we haven't had any in this state. Uh, German measles basically has been eliminated from the country, although it still is imported from foreign countries. And, of course, mumps, and mumps is still around. And the final one is the two doses of chickenpox. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people question that about chickenpox. I know... Uh, so, so I grew up before the vaccination schedule for right. chicken pox. I got chicken pox. I actually had varicella pneumonia, right. uh, which is a complication of that as a kid. Uh, and certainly shingles, I mean, is something you can get later on in life. Uh, and, but chicken pox is not one that most people think, you know what? They used to have chicken pox parties. Right. Uh, so why, why do we in particular vaccinate against the chicken pox? Well, it's not a highly fatal disease in normal children, in cancer children, by the way, and I saw this at St. Jude, it was highly fatal. Mm. But usually in normal, healthy kids, it's not fatal, but there are all these complications. Mm -hmm. And many of the complications are skin infection and empatigo, and the kid's just sick for four or five days, runs fever, feels bad. And the question is, if you have a vaccine to prevent it, why not use it? Right. Uh, the vaccine is safe. There are virtually no problems with the vaccine. It's as safe as any other vaccine. Um, and it does prevent an illness, while not fatal, tends to be uh, you get sick. Mm-hmm. And you get the whole thing in the family. You get three or four kids in a family coming down with chicken pox at once. That's a mess for the parents. Mm. Loss of work. I know right. a lot of the uh, you know studies looking at this, too. If you look at the total loss of income to a family, if all of them are sick at the same time. And chickenpox is one of those that's so contagious right. uh, because it's aerosolized. Um, I mean, if somebody's in the room, you've been exposed to it. Um, then do, Some people do lose immunity for whatever reason, whether that's cancer or, or something else, particularly as they're older, right? Right. Um, and, um, and, of course, the shingles. Right. Um, uh, you know, I see adults later on, shingles can be incredibly debilitating, uh, certainly painful, not just for, uh, you know, for a day or two, but we're talking months to sometimes years. You can have post-herpetic neuropathy uh, that lasts for a long time that we don't have really good medications to treat very well. Uh, and and I, I can tell you, every patient that I've seen that had um, had shingles um, from that uh, chickenpox virus coming back out when later in life will tell you, I don't want it. Uh, and we do have immunizations for adults now. Um, and that's one of them is the shingles Absolutely. vaccine. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Right. So, uh, so I interrupted you there. So you were talking about um, the ones that for school entry and uh, varicella being one of them, measles. Uh, measles, mumps, and rubella, mm-hmm. hepatitis B, polio, 
and diphtheria, tetanus, and uh, pertussis, or whooping mm-hmm. cough. And, and all of those are in the normal immunization schedule would have been given at least once right. uh, prior to that. So this is sort of a booster for the immune system. Right. And again, most of these you've gotten in the first two years of life. And if you look at our immunization rates for kids being up-to-date according to the schedule, it's really quite high. Mm-hmm. And in fact, by the time you get into school... There are very few kids who we actually need to catch up because most of them are already caught up. I mean, there are some vaccines you get, for example, your second chickenpox and your second measles, mumps, and rubella, and your second um, diphtheria, tetanus you get at f- four years of age. But most everybody has already had all the others, and all they need is that one or two shots um, when they're actually entering school. And that's an important concept, too, for parents because even if they've, they've gotten that uh, prior to that, they may ask, well, why do I need to get it again? It's because everybody acts, their immune system right. acts a little bit differently to that. And it takes, uh, you know, they've looked at antibody levels and resistance to, uh, to um, uh, natural resistance to getting that, um, whatever you're immunizing against. And that's sort of the schedule that works uh, for that individual person and the population, too, to help protect. Now, you mentioned some that aren't here anymore in the United right. States or Mississippi, uh, but are worldwide. And certainly now uh, we see this on the news quite often uh, with travel that we have. I mean, we certainly have exposures of our uh, soldiers overseas in different places coming back. Occasionally we've seen you know young adults come back with these rare um, um, bacterial and viral infections that we don't have here. And it's so easy for somebody to be uh, in China or in the Middle East uh, and then the next day be here in Mississippi. Right. Uh, it's it's much more easier to spread these things uh, worldwide, which was even more reason to look at not just what's here, but what's uh, what's all over the globe, really. Uh, and thank, hopefully, you know, in the future, we'll be able to eliminate some of these uh, completely like we were um, smallpox. But not everything follows that same. I mean, some things are just going to be around no matter what you do right. because of where they are in nature. So we're talking about immunizations with Dr. Sandy Feldman this morning. If you'd like to call uh, with your question or comment about immunizations in your family, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kids and teens at mpbonline dot org. So, so we talk a lot about side effects too in clinic because that's important to know what to expect when you get immunized. Some of the more common side effects uh, that that uh, that are expected actually in in a lot of kids uh, are redness around or swelling around the injection site, particularly with some of the vaccines, and then fever. Usually the fever is not very high; it's less than 100, 101, but sometimes higher than that. So, what are the reasons that they might? And that's something that's not necessarily you know if you have that. We always ask patients if you have any kind of reaction, uh, can you you know just let us know about that. Uh, and but those are some reactions that are actually very common. Uh, and uh, what's the reason that they're having those those reactions? Well, uh, it's just the fact that you're giving this antigen or this bacteria, this virus, in an abnormal way, and the skin tends to react. I mean, if you poke yourself with a needle, not only will it hurt, but you'll see redness there because mm-hmm. the body reacts 
to a foreign substance coming into an abnormal place. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see those local reactions. But they're, they're just a reaction. They don't interfere with the response. Mm-hmm. They don't make the response better. They don't make the response worse. You make antibodies because the body sees this. But again, the reaction at the site is just sort of local. Mm-hmm. Same thing with fever, right. too. So it's right. the body's, you know, that sort of... Body's defense. You right. know, the body's defense with infections is to give you fever. Because if you get enough fever, you wind up killing some of the organisms. But it's not the best way to mm-hmm. treat something. Although in the old days, and I mean the real old days, mm-hmm. they used fever therapy. They induced fever in people mm-hmm. to try to kill the organism. Thank goodness that's, that's probably the most miserable right. thing. <laughs> so I can remember when I had, uh, so I actually had West Nile the first summer we had it here. And that was not a pleasant thing to go through. But uh, I, I, was, I can remember thinking over the weekend uh, as I was uh, nauseated and uh, uh, other symptoms with it. If I could just get rid of this fever, I would be much more comfortable. So, uh, so let's go to John in Tennessee as our first caller. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Oh, you're welcome. I was, I was with the, with the information age and all of this lovely stuff on the internet. Can you ex- explain why the, the, all the information about the anti-vaccine kind of movement is wrong? Well, I, the, the information is just not correct. I mean, there have been studies after studies after studies. You go on sort of ad nauseum, and they can't find anything to support these anti-vaccine um, ideas. I mean, it's just not there. I mean, we know there are side effects from vaccines, but again, the side effects are generally mild. Um, this idea that autism is caused by measles First of all, it was a farce to begin with, and in fact, the original perpetrator of this was a physician in England um, who wound up publishing a study, and he had 14 authors or 13 authors on the paper, and after a while, everybody realized it was bogus. The patients were bogus, and all the investigators who were with him um, all backed out and said they didn't realize how bogus it was. Um, so there's no truth to that. Even when they talked about, for example, the thimerosal or the mercury in the vaccine, the mercury that causes poison was not the thimerosal. It was another ion of mercury. It wasn't even in the vaccine. But they took it out anyway when they figured out it was easy to be able to preserve vaccines without preservatives. So again, all the studies out there have looked at all this stuff, and they don't support um, autism or whatever you can come up with, you know, as abnormalities. There are some things that are known, but autism definitely is not one of them. Well, thank you very much. And I, I just want to say, sir, you know, it's obvious that getting vaccinated is 10 times safer than, getting, than catching measles and spreading it to, to you know, people, like, you know, say like at Disney, like it occurred. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, safety, too. With that, and and thank, thanks for that question, John. And that's one that, that comes up a lot. Um, you know, if you look at safety, uh, certainly Dr. Feldman alluded to this, there have been a lot of studies looking at safety of vaccines e- either before you give them and they're required to continually look at these vaccines. And we've had examples of vaccines uh, that were uh, that we used to give that we don't give now because of safety issues to come up. I mean, there is as things come up, we have removed some of those vaccines. Um, you know, when they when they occur, 
but if you talk about, you know, relative to other things, uh, you know, for driving, for instance, it's you're much more likely to have an adverse reaction, if you want to look at that, from driving a car or riding in a car than you are uh, from, a, from a vaccination. I mean, it's just so incredibly low. And your risk of having a bad, significant side effect from something like, particularly if you look at... Um, at um, uh, you know meningococcal diseases, uh, Haemophilus influenza type B, um, uh, they had a lot of uh, a lot of problems with those. So uh, so we appreciate that call and that question. And that's something I, there's certainly you know I've said again and again on the program. Uh, you know there's certainly a lot of information out there. I would encourage people to look and dig for that. Um, if, you know, look for the information that's, that's, uh, correct though. And, uh, you need to ask questions about that. Never, never, uh, scared of questions here on uh, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. So, um, so those are some of the reasons. Um, Liz from Past Christian. Good morning, Liz. Hey. Thanks for calling this morning. I have a question about the shingles vaccine. Sure. Um, I'm 58 and I would love to get it. Um, it's $200. For me to get it locally and my insurance won't pay for it until I'm 62 but I've known a lot of my friends have gotten it in their 40s and I'm just wondering is it worth the $200 for me to go ahead and get it or I know that's something probably I have to decide but what is the effectiveness of it well you most of the studies that have been done have been in ages 60 and older okay okay and that's one reason why the insurance companies are not all excited about paying for the 40-year-olds. Because we know that you're more likely to get shingles once you're over 60. It can happen. My wife had it when she was in her 40s, you know, but it can happen. But it most likely is going to happen over 60. That's when you're most likely to get shingles. And what the vaccine does, it doesn't always completely prevent it. But if you get the shingles vaccine and you get shingles, it's going to be milder. It's oh, about okay. it's about seventy percent effective of preventing it, and those that do get it, it tends to be milder. And most importantly, as um, Dr. Stewart mentioned about the pain, the neuralgia, or they call it, or the pain that's associated with, tends to really be less. Oh, so wow. one of its best benefits is less pain. You know, the rash looks ugly, and you don't want to show it, and all this kind of good stuff. But in fact. The fact that it gets rid of or makes the pain really tolerable is a big difference with that vaccine. You know, okay. and to get it at 58 to 60 probably doesn't make much difference. Um, but, you know, like I said, you have to decide. If I tell you don't get it and you get it tomorrow, you'll be mad at me. <laughs> so I can't tell you that. Um, now, if I get it at, say, my insurance pays at 62 and I get it at 62, if I'm lucky enough to live to my 90s, will it be effective at that time, or do I need another one? Well, I, it's not, I, I can't answer that completely, except if I had a better nickel, I would not be surprised if you won't get a second one sometime in the near future. We okay. haven't reached that point yet because we're still looking at it. We gotcha. know it tends to be effective over 5, 10 years. Whether or not it'll be as effective as it was originally, don't really know. So I wouldn't be surprised you know, unofficially, if we don't come out with needing a second dose. But right now, there's no evidence that we need it. And that would kind of be like a booster. Right, right. Okay, well, it sounds like, to me, I should get it. Okay. I can't (laughs) say one way or the other. (laughs) Yeah, that's a difficult question, Liz, to ask us. But, uh, 
Yeah. I, I had saw um, what my friends have gone through who had it in their 40s. And I know. We're talk, talking about staying home from work for a very long time and being miserable. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is miserable, and depending on where you get it too, uh, you know, it can be in some places that you have. To, if you sit down on on your bottom, uh, if you get it there, or if it, even the just, eye, yeah, the, the eye, eye actually is really scary. bad. Yes, yeah, yeah. on the on the scalp and the eye. So, okay. uh, so if it were me, I'd say yeah. I mean, that's yeah. uh, but. Um, you know, insurance is the kicker there. So some insurances right. we're having, we're seeing a lot more insurance carriers that will cover that. So, uh, and I talked with mine several years ago. I think I might give them a call today, and maybe they've changed the the age requirement or lowered it a little bit. Right, yeah. they could have. Wouldn't yeah. be surprised. But yeah, just check it's worth a phone call. Sure, right. sure. Check with them first. Thanks so much. Thank you, Liz. Yeah, that's right. a that's a thankfully with kids, uh, those are covered by both right. Medicaid and uh, and our um, private, private care. Yeah. So yeah, it's, if it's recommended by the CDC or the ACIP, insurance companies have to provide it. Yeah, yeah, that's considered right. sort of standard of care, care for right. preventive preventive medicine. That, um, that's very important. Let's go to. Uh, I might get this name wrong. Uh, Conrish in Memphis. Did I get yes. that right? Uh, Cornish, just like Cornish. I'm sorry, we had a transposition right. there on the board. So thank you for calling, Cornish. What's your uh, question this morning? Uh, back in the fifties, when I was a little thought in Jamaica, the British and the United Nations got together, and uh, all of the children had to be vaccinated with, uh, for uh, TB. But they gave us. Uh, uh, variation of it that was rudimentary and uh, was actually, turns out, the live, the live uh, TV. What has happened is that as an adult, I entered the Air Force and uh, then they uh, give me a skin test for TV and it was positive and it raised all kinds of issues, but uh, a very wise doctor there said, no, he's from the Caribbean, they gave them livestock accidentally or whatever, and you need to give him a chest X-ray. So that's how they determine whether or not, henceforth, I have TB. But one thing the doctor, I recall, he was at Little Rock Air Force Base, did tell me, he said, once I got to uh, above 65, I should be careful. And I, uh, I'm retired now, and I wanted to find out what it is I was supposed to be careful of. Um, this, uh, I still have uh, positive uh, skin tests, but I don't have the disease, and but that can only be confirmed by chest uh, exam, chest X-ray. Yeah, I'm, I'm no TB expert, but I think what the concern was, and it may not be as much of a concern today. Is that TB that they gave you, which was weakened but live, as you get older? Just in general, people get older, they don't have as much tough defense. That's why they get shingles, um, things like that, is they were concerned that the TB may reactivate. Mm -hmm. But the odds of that are low. And, um, you know, we don't use that vaccine anymore, so it's really not much of a concern. But that would have been the concern when he told you that was, could you, as you get older and get sort of weakened in your defense and ability to fight infections, reactivate that TB vaccine, which again was a weakened vaccine? Cornish, do you, do you smoke at all? No, I do not. Good. Good. Uh -huh. Don't. That may be what they said. Don't ever. Uh, don't. Don't get that. <laughs> That's one. Okay. One good thing to not pick up. But um, 
But yeah, yeah, and just just mentioning that to your physician, you know, they may even uh, you know want you to see an infectious disease specialist. Um, but uh, chances are, most people in your situation will not get it. But there is you know a possibility of that as you get older, as Dr. Feldman mentioned, and uh, your immune system sort of gets weakened a little bit. Thank you ever so much. All right, thank, thank you. you for calling. We're talking about immunizations today with Dr. Feldman and. Uh, Immunizations in particular that uh, are required for uh, school entry and also for entering other grades. Seventh uh, grade. Yeah. Uh, seventh grade. And we'll get to seventh grade in just a second. So um, so lots of good questions this morning. If you'd like to call or a comment, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Wendell in Jackson with a question about preservatives. Hey, Dr. Stewart. This is Wendell. I was sitting here eating lunch with my wife, Monica, and we were listening to your show like we always do. And anyway, I I hear all the time in the news about preservatives causing all these problems and vaccines and people getting vaccines and getting autism. And my wife and I were discussing it, and we think it's all baloney. But we were just wondering if y'all could comment on that a little bit. I'm going to hang up and listen, and thank you for what you do. Thank you, Wendell. Well, first of all, most the, all the vaccines like measles, mumps, and rubella, and chickenpox, they don't have preservatives. That's the first thing. And most of the other vaccines, what they have done now is taken out the preservatives and only give it a, in a, a vial, in other words, with just one injection. The reason you had preservative was when you had 20 shots, let's say, in one little jar or one little vial, going in and out could contaminate it. So they had a preservative to prevent it from being, you know, infected. So now that we have these single vials where it's just one needle goes into that vial, pulls out one dose, you get that dose, end of story, vial gets thrown away, needle gets thrown away, end of the story. So we don't have many preservatives in vaccines Sometimes there are in some of the vaccines and where they still have 20 or 30 doses in a vial or 10 doses, they have some preservative. But for the most part, the vaccines today that are the, all the killed or the dead vaccines, they don't have preservatives in them because they're all single doses, what they call it, and they don't need a preservative. So that issue of the preservatives is gone by the wayside. There was never any evidence that mercury, which was the most common preservative, ever caused autism. And as I mentioned before, the mercury in the vaccine was not the mercury that was even the poison mercury because that was a different mercury that caused poisoning. And so there's no evidence that preservatives really did anything. They took them out just because they could take them out and people were concerned, but there was never any evidence that the preservatives did anything to anybody. And, you know, from the from the pediatrician standpoint or the physician standpoint, given the vaccines, it's really strict, the rules that they have about how you store them, uh, where you store those vaccines, the refrigeration methods. Uh, you have to have, you know, a certain temperature and a gauge there that monitors that uh, to try to make sure that they're stored appropriately. So th- thanks for calling, Wendell. We appreciate that. And uh, we're talking about vaccines again today with Dr. Feldman and would love for your uh, calls and comments if you have those. So, so let's real quick, let's talk about uh, entry into seventh grade. <clears throat> Back in 2012 and 2012-13 school year, the state instituted or the health department instituted a requirement for the pertussis vaccine to enter the seventh grade. 
And the reason that was done was primarily was being found that the pertussis vaccine may not persist as long as everybody thought it would and that they were beginning to see cases occurring in adolescence. So it was decided, and actually nationwide, and we went along with that, is to go ahead and give the pertussis vaccine at the, in the seventh grade entry because that's when it would be the sort of the easiest time to do it. Now, something to keep in mind, that's a requirement, is the kids entering this year, the seventh grade, may not have had two shots of chickenpox. The requirement for two shots of chickenpox didn't occur till 2009. So when you go in to get your child, your adolescents uh, or teenagers, seventh grade pertussis vaccine, check to see if they need a chickenpox vaccine because, again, they may have not been in the group that received it before entering kindergarten. There are two other vaccines that are given along at this time. One is a meningitis vaccine, um, which has been around for several years. And if you look at it in terms of meningitis, meningitis is on a decline in this country. And one of the things that helped with the decline is the use of this meningitis vaccine. And that should be given at the same time you get the pertussis vaccine. And there's one other vaccine I want to comment about, and that is the anti-cancer vaccine. There's a vaccine out there that can help prevent cancer, and it looks like it prevents it for a long period of time. And the cancer I'm mainly talking about is cervical cancer. And just to give you some numbers about cervical cancer in this country um, and how many cases we have a year, uh, I can't get my sheet. We have approximately 11,000 new cases of cervical cancer a year. And if you look at when you get cervical cancer as a woman, that's at age 20 to 40 years. That's the most common time to get cervical cancer. You can get it throughout your life, mm-hmm. but you can also get it primarily in this younger age group. And that's why we give this, and it's called the HPV vaccine, because it turns out that um, human papillomavirus, which is a very common virus, almost everybody gets one of the strains of it. I mean, there are lots of strains, something like 50 or 60 strains. Only a few of them cause cancer. So they developed this vaccine, which prevents this infection and thereby prevents the chances of getting cancer particularly cervical cancer. Women can also get vulva cancer. They can also get vaginal cancers, and they can even get oral cancers. And in fact, oral cancer in men is very common. And it's the same scenario as with women, how you can prevent it with this uh, HPV vaccine. And again, HPV virus is very common. All kinds of different ways to get it, sort of immaterial If you look at everybody, over 90% of the population has been infected one time or another. 99% of the time, nothing ever happens. You get the infection, end the story, goodbye, see you later. But some people go on and later on, may it be in their 20s or 30s, can develop oral cancer um, or get cancer from this HPV virus. Mike Douglas, the actor, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, he's got oral pharyngeal cancer from HPV. He's had it for years. Um, so it's a very, very common virus, and there is this vaccine that can go ahead and prevent cancer, particularly cervical cancer in women, oral pharyngeal cancer in men, and it's given at this age. And the studies have shown at least 10 years out so far, it's very effective. And why people don't get this vaccine, I have no idea. 
Well, I, mean, I know there's a lot of concern that it would encourage people to have sex, you know, in their teens. Certainly there's no evidence that they've actually looked at that. Right. And, uh, uh, it, it really is exciting that we have a, that we have a vaccine that, um, you know, that, that may, uh, prevent that. So that's, uh, that's something that's really, really neat that we have right now. If you do it, and that's for, for boys and girls, boys and girls, right. cause they can transmit it back and forth. Correct. And it's nicely covered by insurance. And again, it's an excellent vaccine. And um, just, again, some more information. We have the lowest rates of the use of this vaccine in the United States. We're 51, which means we're behind the District of Columbia in terms Something of... Something you never want to be. You don't want right. to be there. And we also have amongst the highest rates of particularly cervical cancer and all the other cancers called by, caused by HPV um, in the state. Why we have amongst the highest rates, I really don't have a great explanation. Some of it has to do with the demographics of the population and other explanations we're not really sure. But keep in mind, this vaccine should be given and could be gotten very easily at the time you go ahead and get your uh, Tdap vaccine for school entry, and when you get your, meningi- your meningitis or meningococcal vaccine. Let's go to Cheryl and Pontotoc. Good morning, Cheryl. Thank you for calling. Thank you for having me. Sure. Do you have a question about uh, the seventh grade vaccines? Well, I have a, um, a statement first, um, more so than a question. Okay. Um, I would just like all of the callers to realize that the Tdap is the only vaccine that is actually required for um, admittance to school for the seventh grade. Um, I understand all the other vaccines that you are discussing are simply recommended, but I am I am just appalled that this Gardasil vaccine is being recommended on your show when, as of 721, 44,600 adverse events have been reported to VAERS, 261 deaths. This is not a good vaccine. It does not work. Um, There are countries all over this world that are um, trying to have this vaccine either taken out of their lineup. There is... um, Cheryl, I want to give you a chance to talk, but we're up against the wall here, so if you can sort of summarize that. want people to be fooled into thinking that this Gardasil... All right, I'm sorry, sorry to have to do that. Dr. Feldman, just right at the end, you want to comment to that? You're 100% wrong. First of all, countries worldwide tend to use it more than we do. Second of all, all those adverse events you were talking about, none was serious, and none of the deaths, none of the deaths have been attributed to the HPV vaccine. I've read that information. So that is misinformation. Unfortunately, this caller is on the wrong track. Well, we certainly appreciate all our callers today, and uh, thank you for uh, tuning in to us. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. We certainly want to thank Dr. Sandy Feldman for uh, being with us today. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and you can join us next week at 11 o'clock for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. You can stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. And for those callers who are still on the line holding, you can uh, email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org.
This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy. Live blue. It's good to be blue. More at bcbsms.com. High pressure, high heat, and high humidity once again today. The National Weather Service continues the heat advisory.